I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host Joe Cunningham and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our X-Men Apocalypse and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen episodes. On today's show I'll give you my reactions to the comics that James recommended on last week's podcast. Those were The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix and The Apocalypse Solution. But before any of that, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past few weeks. Now, it's been a while since we had some proper news on the podcast, so there is a lot to catch up on, with probably the biggest item being the cast announcement for Thor Ragnarok. Now, some of it we knew already, so we've got confirmation that Kate Blanchett will play Healer, that Tessa Thompson will play Valkyrie, and that Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Idris Elba, Anthony Hopkins, and Mark Ruffalo would all be reprising their previous MCU roles. The big additions, though, are Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum, as the Grandmaster, and Dred's Carl Urban as Scourge. Now, the latest rumours on the film have Goldblum's Grandmaster staging the Planet Hulk-esque gladiatorial games where Thor will find Hulk in the movie, but honestly, who cares? Because as long as Jeff Goldblum's involved... I'm in the bag for this movie. Brie Larson is the current frontrunner to play Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel. That's according to the latest report in Variety, at least. There's no confirmation on that as of yet, but it's believed the actress is in early talks to take on the role. The film is yet to announce a director, and The Hollywood Reporter followed up Variety's report with rumours that Disney were looking for a female director, as expected, and that McFarland USA's Nikki Caro and the Babadook's Jennifer Kent were two names in contention. Obviously, Brie Larson is a fantastic actress, and she's coming off an Oscar win earlier this year from Room, so it seems like a no-brainer. This would be fantastic news if Brie Larson is, in fact, Captain Marvel. To X-Men Apocalypse now, and that film did not have the best opening weekend at the US box office, grossing around $65 million, which is fully half of what Deadpool managed earlier in the year. Now, in fairness, Deadpool was a massive surprise hit, but that $65 million is also way down on what Days of Future Past managed, and with a lot of contracts for the stars of that franchise due to expire, it looks like now more than ever the X-Men franchise is at a real crossroads, and there is a lot of decisions to be made about what happens to those films moving forwards. 
What we do know is that the Wolverine 3 is next, and that post-credits tag from X-Men Apocalypse hints at maybe Mr. Sinister, unless he's being held for a future X-Men movie. But beyond that, the entire direction of the franchise seems up for grabs right now, and I really couldn't predict what kind of X-Men movies we'll be seeing over the course of the next three or four years. To Spider-Man now, and as well as Tom Holland's MCU Spidey, Sony are also working on an animated Spider-Man movie, which is set for release in December 2018. And the latest report, which I was personally very pleased to hear backed up by a friend of mine who has some well-placed sources of his own, claimed that Spider-Man in this movie will be Miles Morales rather than Peter Parker. Frankly, that seems like a great idea to us. Not only does it help avoid potential Spider-Man fatigue, it's also a shot in the arm for superhero diversity, and it raises the profile of a character who could potentially make the leap to live action at some point in the future as well. Oh, and while we're on Spider-Man, a couple of weeks ago Michael Keaton was rumoured to be back in the frame for the villain role in Tom Holland's live action movie, but that was two weeks ago, and we haven't heard anything more since. So, who knows? Michael Keaton may or may not have anything to do with the next Spider-Man movie, but we really hope he has. As if Batman v Superman hadn't taken enough of a kicking already, now even its own cast members are piling on. Jeremy Irons, whose Alfred was one of the film's more successful aspects, said that the film deserved its bad reviews. The interesting part, though, is that Irons also claimed that the next film, which is Justice League Part 1, will be a lot simpler, smaller, and more linear. So hopefully he at least enjoys that one a little bit more. Jesse Eisenberg also recently implied that he will be appearing in that film, but it sounds like if he does, it will be a much smaller role than he had in Dawn of Justice. A TV roundup now, and FX has picked up Legion for an eight-episode first season, which will air early next year. The show is, of course, an X-Men-related property, and will star Dan Stevens, and will be shepherded by Fargo's Noah Hawley. Who knows whether that will have anything to do with the films, whether it does now or whether it will once the X-Men franchise figures out what it's doing. To The Flash, and we won't spoil the holy shit, what does that mean for the show going forward, ending of The Flash Season 2, but let's just say it represented a bit of a shake-up for the show. That's why it's good news to hear that Tom Kavanagh will indeed be returning as a series regular again next year. Now, given he's played two characters on the show previously, he played... Um, Harrison Wells, who wasn't really Harrison Wells, but was actually Earbud Thorne in Harrison Wells' body. And then he played Harrison Wells, but not actually Harrison Wells, Earth 2's Harrison Wells, who was not Earbud Thorne in Earth 2's Harrison Wells' body. Um, there's no guarantee who we'll be playing next on the show. Maybe this will be the original Earth 1 Harrison Wells for the first time. But, you know, let's have some well speculation there. But the good news is that he is definitely returning. And finally, on the Netflix front, Carrie-Anne Moss will reprise her role as Jerry Hogarth from Jessica Jones in Iron Fist. And given that her character is from the Iron Fist comics in the first place, that seems like a sensible move. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. And because last week was uh, last week's podcast was Sebulus, 
a little bit awkward. We found out he'd been hailing Hydra the whole time. We've been doing the podcast, and there's been some serious fallout from that. I've had to send him some really aggressive tweets. Um, but we'll hopefully have that sorted out for our League of Extraordinary Gentlemen episode. Uh, but it did mean that James provided two X-Men recommendations on last week's podcast, and um, I don't think I've ever seen him happier. So the two comics that he recommended were The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix uh, from Scott Lobdell and Gene Ha. And also The Apocalypse Solution from Rick Remender and Jerome Apena. And um, the Uncanny X-Force issues are available to read on Marvel Unlimited. If you're a Marvel Unlimited subscriber, that's how I read them. Um, Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix weren't, so um, I had to go through Comixology for those this week. Uh, but that's where you can find them if you want to read them. Um, the Uncanny X-Force, of course, is that's where the four-issue story, The Apocalypse Solution, comes from. Um, and I'll start off with that one, which um, I'll say right off the bat I was the one was the comic that I enjoyed less out of these two. Now, I think I struggle with X-Men comics, full stop. Um, I tried reading... When I started reading new comics for the first time last year, i.e. like new releases... Um, I tried a couple of X-Men comics, I tried the main title, and I found them a bit of a struggle. When James has recommended uh, very X-Men-y stories in the past, I found them quite difficult to get through. Um, it just, to me, seems like the most intimidating area of comic books. That there is There, there seems to be so much X-Men and so much kind of lore and history around them. And there are so many characters and so many different timelines and stuff, which maybe that is the case with other areas of superhero comics. And I just don't, I just haven't had as much exposure to them yet. But I I always find diving into an X-Men comic intimidating. Um, and that was the case here. And I, I think I just struggled to read them more than I struggled to read anything else. It just, it, I find it, they are, they tend to be quite wordy. Um, I mean, there's a lot of characters talking about how they feel quite a lot, and um, they just seem to take a lot longer to read than other comics, probably because I'm trying to fi find my way around them as I'm reading them, as well as just reading the actual stories. Um, but... I particularly found myself completely lost during the first issue of Uncanny X-Force, the um, the Apocalypse Solution. Um, the comic starts off with Deadpool, um, and confusingly, all the characters are wearing kind of like black and white versions of their costumes, so I wasn't always certain who I was looking at. Um, it got a bit easier once I'd read back through them. Uh, once once I'd got kind of all the way through the four issues. But sometimes I was like, who is that again? Um, it also didn't help that one of the characters I didn't know. I'd never heard of them before. Um, that's Phantom X. And one of the characters, uh, Angel, is Angel and Archangel. Um, she's, or is depicted as both of those characters at various points throughout this comic. And so that, that added an extra layer of confusion. But so the first issue kind of starts off with Deadpool, who seems like a very strange member of this X-Force team, doesn't... I, I like Deadpool. Uh, I, I have liked Deadpool on the page. I've liked him doing his silly, talky bits. But whenever I've read him in comics where he's kind of part of a bigger team or a different story, he, he always seems to just be uh, 
tonally very hard for the writers to fit in with the rest of the group and Deadpool didn't feel like the kind of character that fit with this story. There is one amazing little moment with him uh, towards towards the end of the story which I will uh, which I will get to a little bit later on but apart from that I I found him kind of a, a weird addition to this team. Uh, but it starts off with Deadpool who is doing some investigating and he comes across uh, who you'll later find out is one of Apocalypse's four horsemen, War. In the in this uh, comic, all of Apocalypse's horsemen are kind of like the original proto-horsemen, so they are literally war, death, famine, and pestilence. Um, and Deadpool kind of sees this ceremony going on that is uh, bringing Apocalypse back to life, which I wouldn't have known that unless I'd just seen X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, and then he fights War. Uh, we then cut to a scene with Psylocke and she comes across Angel and Archangel talking to each other but it turns out that that's just a dream and we then have Psylocke and Angel who are in a relationship talking to each other in real life. Um, we then cut to, now I believe this is Phantom X now, um, who is breaking breaking into the Tower of London and he comes across Wolverine who at this stage is wearing his yellow costume um, and it turns out that, that Wolverine and Phantom X had had some kind of bet that Wolverine has won um, and then all of a sudden we cut to them flying on this kind of orby craft uh, everything looks purpley and I didn't know whether it was a flash forward to a future where they had become the four horsemen of apocalypse it turned out that was completely wrong and that had never happened but we have psylocke angel wolverine and phantom x all on this craft now in kind of their more muted colored costumes and um yeah just talking about what they're about to do which is presumably they've been investigating and deadpool has helped them realize that apocalypse is coming back and they go to where Deadpool was and fight the war, who is basically an ancient minotaur. Um, and they have a big scrap at the end of that issue. Uh, Wolverine gets take his brain taken over for a short time um, and eventually find Deadpool and kind of all team up. Um, and there is a reveal at the end of the comics that uh, Apocalypse in this timeline is actually a kid. So this version of Apocalypse who's been brought back is still an innocent child who isn't evil or certainly isn't evil yet. Um, and that basically the story has been set up to be a, if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you? Um, it's it's one of those. Um, and it kind of... Uh, it, it, that, that to me felt like a, a little bit of a... That can be an interesting story. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Looper, Ryan Johnson's film at the moment, which is kind of an interesting take on that kind of thing. Um, but I think it's kind of so standard that you have to be doing a lot more interesting stuff around it. Um, and I, for a lot of this, really did feel like I was plodding through the comic. Um, there's just a lot of fighting with the four different horsemen. I'm, I think they fly out on their ship to the moon. Um and, and because I just did it, I really didn't feel like I knew these characters. And I felt that even though the, these were the first four issues, apparently, of Uncanny X-Force when it launched in 2010, it didn't feel like a jumping on point to me. I, I you know, I, I struggled with the concept of Angel and Archangel being something that is within 
Angel, but not always there, but potentially there because Apocalypse put it there and they're fighting Apocalypse. Um, and so I, I mostly got enjoyment out of small moments in this. There is um, there is kind of a, the, the start of the third issue um, goes back and uh, shows... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How each of the four horsemen were originally recruited by uh, Apocalypse. Um, backing kind of so the minotaur is in um rome 281 and then the um famine is recruited in gettysburg in 1863 pestilence in kumamato 1833 and death in persia 325 and so you get kind of nice little origin stories neatly told a page each for each of those characters and that i really liked um but i just really didn't care about all of the fighting some of it was an imaginative and phantom x who it took me a while to realize but his power is kind of manipulating what people perceive as reality um so there's some cool stuff done with that to trick the various horsemen um into thinking that they're defeating the various members of the x-men at any one time and it's fun seeing these characters kind of facing off against very powerful mutants and, and managing to managing to overcome it um but basically what the story comes down to at the very end is psylocke gets to the child apocalypse first and says look he's just a kid we can't kill him and angel particularly disagrees with that um and it, they they're kind of you think it's set for a an ideological debate in a room um until phantom x just kind of pulls out a gun and shoots him in the head and then I was go. I was really interested, thinking, "Oh, I wonder what the fallout from that is going to be." And it doesn't really come because that's basically where the comic ends. Um, they kind of just fly off on their little orb ship again, and they're all kind of just silently grappling with what happened. Um, 
And um, I guess I could read on to see how, what the fallout from that is, especially with, you know, kind of Angel and Psylocke. And, but then I, I didn't also, because I didn't know who Phantom X was, I didn't know whether this was in or out of character for him or whether that was, it should be surprising that he was the one that did this. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I could read issue five of this to see a bit of that fallout, but I really I didn't want to, so I'm not going to. <laughs> My favourite part of this comic was a moment with Deadpool, the moment that I mentioned earlier. Um, this comes early on in the fourth issue, and basically Angel has been really affected by his fight with the horsemen early on. Um, and Deadpool finds him and kind of erects on the moon a little Deadpool tent, which... Again, I mean, you know, talking about this is this is a comic which ends with one of these heroes shooting a baby who or a child who is about to become a villain, who may grow up to become a villain in the head. We get a scene where Deadpool is caring for the really struggling angel who um, basically needs some sustenance to be able to recover and get back involved in the fight. And... Deadpool starts feeding him pieces of meat and Angel asks him kind of half consciously, uh, where did you get this from? And Deadpool says, if I tell you, do you promise to keep eating? And you see him carving chunks of flesh off of his forearm. Um, and it's a, I just thought it was a really funny moment, but just completely out of step with everything else that was happening. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was the apocalypse solution. Um, there was... There were there were some little bits in there that I enjoyed, but mostly I felt kind of overwhelmed by the whole thing, um, which I guess is surprising then that I enjoyed Cyclops and Phoenix, the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix more, um, which I mean really did take me a while to adjust to. Probably probably the entirety of the first issue, but the the entirety of the first issue is basically exposition. And I don't know whether I'm getting thrown in this for the first time or whether there was more stuff established with this world that they get sent to. Because basically at the start of the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, apparently these two characters have just got married in the present day of the X-Men universe and then are kind of psychically ripped from the present day to 2,000 years in the future by, we'll find out, by Rachel Summers, their daughter, um, who at some point existed in the present day and then herself time travelled back to the 2000 years in the future um, where Apocalypse is basically ruling over Earth and the age of Charles Xavier lulled mankind into a false sense of security and mutant kind into a false sense of security allowing Apocalypse to take over and there is um, a religious sect called the Ascani who are led by Rachel Summers, who are trying to fight back against him. And apparently we know from X-Men kind of lore that Cable will be the mutant who steps up to take on Apocalypse um, and take on this and basically save the world from this dark future. Um, but Cable is still a baby and Apocalypse wants Cable for himself because he recognises that Cable is such a powerful mutant that that is the one body that he will be able to transfer into and basically ensure his reign forever um and so this is kind of like a last stand situation not x-men the last stand but a, a last stand in that this is the this is the thing they need to keep from apocalypse 
to stop him ruling forever. And um, the twist in the tale there is as well that if they don't, that they also need Cable to grow up, or Nathan Summers as he is here, the son of Scott Summers and Madeline Pryor, who was a clone of Jean Grey, um, they need to raise him also so he has the potential to become Cable, who is going to be the one who saves everyone. Um, confusingly, Cable, who is the son of Scott Summers and a clone, also has a clone of himself called Strife. This is what I mean about X-Men feeling very overwhelming. Um, they uh, Strife is in Apocalypse. Apocalypse has Strife and is kind of raising him until he can get into, transfer himself into Strife's body and take his powers because he doesn't realise that he has Strife and not Cable. Um, so basically all that needed to happen throughout this entire comic is that Scott and Jean just need to make sure that Cable is not found by Apocalypse um, because when he does try and transfer into Strife it won't be any good because he is not the powerful mutant that he thinks he is. Um, and uh, yeah, that that is basically what happens over the course of those four issues is that they try and keep Cable safe, try and raise him as best they can, kind of form a family unit that Scott had always been denied because as soon as his son was born, he had to send him into the distant future. Um, and that Jean was denied because it was her clone that was the mother of this child. And Rachel Summers, who is their child, was actually taken from them and uh, lived in the future and they always apparently according to this had a dodgy relationship anyway so a lot of this is quite sweet character stuff about this family unit forming and then looking out for each other and there's nice stuff with Rachel as well when she's around who is an old woman in the in these times but is um is kind of she is uh she's she's the person who brought them there and she's also uh she's old and she slips into a coma she's still kind of because her powers are cyclically psychically linked, um, she is able to communicate with Cable and at times Scott and Jean um, throughout the comic and kind of look out for them. Um, and yeah, I, I think I basically was able to get that stuff through the confusing x meniness of it. Um, and because this was like a... It was fairly contained and a lot of the stuff that was confusing to me there is there's so many words on these pages that the confusing parts were explained it was like oh this happened in this comic and that's what you need to know for this um and in fact like the second comic even kind of the second issue even kind of begins by explaining everything that had happened in the first issue and what the fallout from that was and um, even some even explains some of the stuff that happened before the first issue started um, and they kind of eventually join this kind of resistance force who are going to fight against Apocalypse. Apocalypse also has a henchman um, who is called Shavea, um which had me uh, humming Les Mis songs in my head uh, <laughs> because, uh, because that sounded quite similar to Javert. Um and he is He's kind of an interesting part of this comic because he is Apocalypse's henchman, but he sees Apocalypse slowly moving away from his own mantra of survival of the fittest and um, having and 
and buying into Apocalypse's reasons for wanting to subjugate humanity and raise up mutant kind because he feels he's moving away from the core principles of, of all of that. Um, so that's so that's an interesting kind of, even though Apocalypse and Scott, Gene and Cable are separate for most of this, because you have that character there kind of questioning his, his entire ideology, you get a better idea of what what Apocalypse is, what he is supposed to stand for, and maybe why that ends up being his downfall here. Um, and also why characters, why other mutants might buy into his point of view to begin with. Um, and I thought I found some of the Cable stuff interesting. Um, uh, this, for the first time, explained a little bit better for me all of his kind of cyber virus stuff that is running through his body that um did wasn't really clear to me when i was reading the deadpool and cable series that was recommended i think after the deadpool podcast um and so yeah i kind of i kind of did find myself enjoying this a little bit more even though i did find it kind of a slog to read and actually physically get through just because there is so much words and there is so much there's there is so much words because there there's so much dialogue on each page um, so many, um, so many descriptions of what's going on and what context you need to know from beforehand, and um, it just does take a long, long time for me to get through these um, X Men comics. But um, I kind of enjoyed this, and I think I enjoyed it for the central kind of famili- familial relationship at the center of it, rather than all of the bonkers X Men. Uh, consciousness is being transported 200 years into the future kind of thing of all of it um so yeah that's that's why i liked this one a little bit more i still find x-men intensely uh intimidating and it just feels like there is so much context that i don't have and don't understand and i'll probably have forgotten most of the context that i learned over the course of these issues um by the time we get to our next men not before the time we get to before we get to our next X-Men recommendations on the podcast. But maybe I'm getting there slowly but surely. But that is it for this week's show. Don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be focused on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or support us over at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicmultiverse.com. And you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. And don't forget that we are still running a competition over on our Twitter feed. Um, You may have seen this, you may have heard about this if you listened to our last episode. We're running a competition with Dark Bunny Tees, who are an awesome, nerdy, geeky uh, t-shirt website. Uh, They've got loads of superhero-related merch on their site, but also... Um, a bunch of other kind of pop culture things on there as well uh to enter the competition what you need to do is head over to our twitter feed the the tweet that is pinned to the top of our feed tells you how to enter you just need to quote that tweet and tell us which dark bunny tees design is your favorite to enter um and if you head to the website and like what you see uh regardless and just want to order some stuff from the website you can get 10 percent off using the code cinematic universe on the website as well um so i highly recommend you do that because they're an excellent website and by supporting them you're supporting the podcast as well and you get some awesome t-shirts as part of the bargain and i know this isn't superhero related but the site has actually just released 
Um, a couple of Bill and Ted t-shirts, one Excellent Adventure and one Bogus Journey t-shirt, which I think I'm going to have to order. So um, hopefully you like those on there as well. So yeah, head to our Twitter feed, enter that competition and um, good luck. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.